following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
wondered what was the conversation like as Andrew, come, Peter, we found the Messiah, the one we've been looking for. He's here. I wonder what the discussion was. I wonder what kind of question. If you had the opportunity this afternoon after we're finished here, if I were to say to you, look, let's go over to Wegmans and get a big table upstairs. Jesus is going to come. And he's going to be there physically. And what questions would you ask Jesus? And what would be the nature of our conversation together? I can assure you it would be unlike anything we've ever experienced before. But I'm not sure this conversation was anything that unusual. Jesus did not say to them, I am the Messiah. I suspect he asked them questions. He wanted to know about them. That began Jesus' ministry. Peter was one of the leaders among the disciples. Peter, James, and John walked together. They were the three that were the closest to Jesus. Interesting, after Jesus' crucifixion, James was executed. So that left Peter and John. But Peter was not the pastor of the New Testament church. Jesus' brother, James, pastored the New Testament church in Jerusalem. Peter functioned as an apostle, and he functioned as an evangelist. He traveled. He proclaimed the gospel of Jesus with great power, very effective. He did not become that overnight. Jesus had to walk Peter through some very deep water. Remember, Peter said, if that's you, Jesus, can I walk on the water? Come on, Peter, you ask for it. No, he didn't say you ask for it, but he might as well have. (laughs) Jesus does not call his disciples to walk on water. Sometimes in our boldness, we push and we climb out and we test him and he won't let us die. But Peter did sink. There's so many interesting things about Peter that we could talk about. But I want to talk with you today about the most painful part of the walk that Peter had with Jesus. Now, I have a purpose in wanting to talk about it because I see in myself the same thing that Jesus saw in Peter. I see in many of you the same character trait. And that character trait has to be changed has to be transformed if we're going to walk with power in Jesus. 
you'll catch on as I share the story. It's found in the book of Matthew. Jesus is closing the ministry. He is going to the garden of Gethsemane. You recognize Gethsemane means stone of crushing. Every man and every woman comes to the point where we look at our heart and we begin to see things in our spirit that we don't like. It may be laziness. It may be procrastination. It may be, and usually is, however, more associated with anger and bitterness. Bitterness is the key root that finds itself embedded in our hearts. And what brings bitterness? We don't like how we're being treated. We don't like how our wife treats us. We don't like our, how our husband is treating us. We don't like how a friend is treating us. We don't like the way the boss is treated. We don't like something about what's going on. And the natural human response is to become angry. And as it festers in the anger in our heart, we become like ice. And then God has to bring something into our hearts that will melt us down. It's not without reason that the old timers, when they talked about a successful worship service, they would say, Everyone melted down, meaning the hard edge was taken out of their hearts. They stopped thinking about how they're going to get even, how they're going to try to survive. They stopped thinking about themselves and began to focus on Jesus. Now, please, every one of us has been hurt by another. Which of us has not been wronged? Which of us has not been shamed in some way? Which of us has not felt the sting of rebuke or failure or loss? We all have. That's part of the human journey. But what we do in response to that determines whether or not we will be alive in Jesus and be productive for his kingdom or whether we will crash and burn. It is not without reason that many have called God's people frozen saints. That is very apparent when we have a person who is just fresh in the wonder and the glory of finding that intimacy with Jesus that has been lost or has never existed. Um, If you saw Brother Ed at work, you would not see him expressing emotion. He is the machine. Um, He holds a very high position, a very 
honored position, has probably gotten more gold medals from Social Security Administration than any other employee. He is the fix-it man. He is the hatchet man. He is the man who makes it happen. But as Jesus has come upon him, suddenly the emotion just freely flows because Ed's been thought out. He's not the man of ice anymore. He is going to express joy in Jesus. And that's totally uncharacteristic of who Ed is as a professional man. He has attained some of the highest levels in his profession. Honored. Incredibly respected. But Jesus melted him down. And some of you look at him like, are you crazy? What's wrong with you, Ed? (laughs) Well, he just got a, a meeting with Jesus, and Jesus had some very specific things to say to him. So why aren't you as excited as he is? Well, I'll tell you, because you're still frozen up. You still don't have that breakthrough in the spirit. Why does Michelle come up here? And tears begin to flow down her face as she talks about Jesus. Now, I tell you, this is totally uncharacteristic. This is not how she functions. If you ask her where she's employed, does Michelle cry? They would say, are you kidding? She is a machine. She cuts through anything and gets the job done. And holds everyone accountable and makes sure that her responsibility is covered. So what happens that she comes here and suddenly the tears begin to flow? For four years, every time Jan stood up, she cried. And at home she would say, Ray, I am not standing up. I am not speaking one word. I am not going to cry. I am not a crier. Before she came to Jesus, I don't think Jan had cried five tears. She was the professional woman. She was on her way to Disney World to be the director of their management training academy. She was the ultimate successful woman, hard-edged, feminist. And Jesus got a hold of her and totally changed her. Some of you knew her through that process. You knew the kind of heart Jan had. And the love and compassion that she showed as she knew Jesus. So it might be helpful for you today. You know, when I was a a farm boy and the river froze, dad would ask us, all right, boys, get the hatchet go down and cut a hole in the ice and measure it. If it's six inches or more, you can go ice skating on the river. How thick is the ice in your heart today? Now I'm here with a hatchet trying to cut through some of that thickness. The hatchet of the word. But how thick is the ice in your heart? 
And what's it going to take to thaw you through? Absolutely the most glorious thing I can think of is for a man or woman to be melted in the presence of God, to be tender-hearted in the presence of God. It doesn't mean you're not a strong woman or a strong man, but it means that the melting of the bitterness and the hard edge out of your past experiences and your hurts. I ask one one man, are you ever going to get married again? And this particular man answered in a very interesting way, no, I've done that. Whoa, you've done that. Not going to do it again, are you? You're not going to risk. You don't want your hurt, your heart hurt again, right? You know, I can tell you today from experience, there's nothing in the world that will hurt your heart more than getting married. It is absolutely the most dangerous step any man or woman can take except one. And that is choosing to be one with Jesus. Well, why is it dangerous to get married? Because you're now one and you get into the sheets every night with the same woman. And if she's mad at you, it's like ice. Am I being truthful? I mean, come on. Husbands and wives know how to get revenge. We know how to even the score. How thick is the ice in your heart today? And what's it going to take for the Holy Spirit to melt that ice away so that your heart can be tender before Jesus, that he could simply love you and care for you? I remember when I was a little boy, when I'd get mad, And my mother or my father would come to me and put their arm around me. I made certain that I didn't give one inch. They knew I was mad. And I was not going to smile. And I was not going to give them one ounce of comfort because they had so mistreated me. (laughs) You've never done that, have you? Someone reaches out with love to you and there's no response because you're mad. Keep a straight face. Somber, sober. Don't smile. Hmm? Touch me not. And then the change comes. And you melt into that person. You melt into mom or dad. And there's just a wonderful coming together. 
Jan said to me one time, I like to fight with you. She was spicy. I like to fight with you, Ray. I said, why? <laughs> because it's fun to make up. Well, I just laughed at her. I knew what she was saying. I understood. This ice in our hearts has to be melted. The bitterness has to be released. And sometimes we don't release that bitterness quickly or easily. And Peter was one of those who did not release things quickly. I think Peter had a memory like an elephant. I don't think he ever forgot anything. And now here he is. He's in the garden. He's exhausted. He's tired. He's put his business on the line. He's been following Jesus. His wife is back at home and he's in Jerusalem. He hasn't had much time with his wife in the last three years. He's been following Jesus, believing that Jesus was going to set up a kingdom that he was going to be one of the key cabinet members of this kingdom. They were going to defeat Rome. Jesus had the power to raise the dead. He had the power to feed the hungry. He had the power to heal the sickness. Rome could not even begin to stand up against his miracles. He could cause the sea to go silent. He could speak to the weather and it obeyed him. Talk about weather wars. Jesus could have unleashed incredible damage to Rome and cause them to flee. And that's what Peter believed he was getting ready to do. So he was willing to give up his life, basically, and his business because of what he thought Jesus was going to do. They come to the garden. Peter begins to understand that things are not going well. Jesus has told him that he is going to deny Jesus. There's going to come a breaking among the fellowship. Peter can't even begin to face what that might mean. He remembers that Jesus said to him, get thee behind me, Satan. That still cuts his heart. I suspect he could even be angry about that. All Jesus will tell them is, watch and pray. Pray, pray, pray. And Peter's too sleepy to pray. And he's too angry to pray. And he's too hurt to pray. So he does what we often do. He went to sleep. But suddenly there is a crowd of thugs with torches invading the peace of that garden on the Mount of Olives. While Jesus comes and wakes them up, he says to his disciples, rise, get up. My betrayer is coming. And while he's still speaking, Judas, in verse 47, this is Matthew 26, 47, Judas, one of the 12, arrived, 
With him, a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer, Judas, one of the disciples, had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he gave him a kiss on the cheek. And Jesus replied, Friend, do what you've come for. They stepped forward to arrest Jesus. And Peter, seeing all of this comes, just says, No, it's not going to happen. And he had a sword, and he pulled it out. And he tried to cut a man's head off. Somehow he missed. It slid down the man's head and took his ear off. Another place in Scripture, it tells us that Jesus immediately reached out, returned that ear, healed him, done. Told Peter to put his sword away, rebuked him. You know, sometimes all I want to do is pull my sword out and go to war. Out of the bitter root of my heart. You know, it's so easy to say something that just undercuts somebody. We're very clever at slashing with the sword. Jesus stopped it. And all of the disciples were told fled. They ran. Why? Because they did not want to be crucified. They did not want to lose everything. Their hearts still desired to preserve their lives. Verse 57, those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. Now we're told in another place that he and John were together. In the book of John, it tells us that John knew someone who gave them entrance into that inner court. But notice what what Matthew says. But Peter followed, in verse 58, at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. Wait a minute. Peter is no longer functioning as a disciple. He is now functioning as an onlooker. He's now functioning as a person who is disinterested. How could Peter, one moment, take a sword and say, I will lay my life down for Jesus. You're not going to take him. And the next moment, He's acting like he doesn't even know Jesus. He's not there to do what Jesus told him to do. 
there has been only one command that Jesus has given, and that command was pray. He's not praying. He's watching to see what the outcome will be. Please understand, that's not faith. That does not please the Lord. I hear people say, I asked them, what's happening? Well, I don't know. I just, I'll have to just wait and see. Really? That's what the world does. The world says, let's just wait and see what happens here. No, we don't wait and see what's going to happen here. We go to war in the closet with Jesus and we pray and we pray and we pray until we're clear with him what he's going to do. And then we stand by faith that it's done. We don't say, oh, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see what happens here. No. That's to function like the world in a disinterested manner as though we're not connected. I hear some husbands say, no, I don't know what to do with my wife. I I guess I'm just going to have to wait and see what happens. Are you kidding me? You go to prayer. You determine what's going to happen as you pray. The Holy Spirit directs your prayer. He begins to guide you in that intercession until you absolutely know what's to happen. And then you stand though the heavens fall. And what happens when you're wrong? I've prayed. I've stood. And it didn't happen. But at least in my heart, I know I prayed as a warrior of Jesus. And I trusted him with the outcome. So whether it comes out the way I want it to come out or whether it doesn't, I'm still not going to take the position of an observer of my life. I am going to do what Jesus commanded me to do. I'm going to pray. And I'm not going to let bitterness or frozenness force me into a position of hardness that says, well, you know, you do what you can do and that's all you can do. No. That's the position of the non-believer. That's the position of the pagan. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. And I'm not going to stop praying. Because it's in that that all bitterness is removed from my heart. It's in that that faith can rise up. And I can see what God is trying to accomplish. And I can come in agreement with him. And I don't have to be angry at everybody around me. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin, verse 59, were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But Peter did not enter to pray. He entered to see the outcome. He's been warned by Jesus that Satan wants to assay him. You know what a saying is? It's where you take raw ore and you milled it down at the assayer's office so 
They can determine the value of the gold in that ore, if there is any gold there. Sifting. And Jesus has already warned Peter and said, Satan has asked to sift you. He's asked to assay you. Do you know what? The devil is asked to assay every one of you. And when the ice builds up in your heart, the unbelief hardens you, and you walk without faith, you begin to treat other people as objects. There's a coldness in your heart. There's a hardness in your spirit. There's a self-righteousness in your in your mouth and how you speak. There's a judgment that begins to flow out. The words you speak come out of your heart. The heart reveals where you're walking. If accusations are flowing from your lips, Satan is asked to assay you. He's asked to sift you. He wants to know. And the Lord is going to let him do that because of the hardness and the unbelief. So Peter's sitting, watching, as they're trying to find the evidence to charge Jesus with crimes that will be resulting in his being crucified. And they could not find any real evidence. And finally, the high priest says to him in verse 63, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus answers, yes, it is as you say. But I say to all of you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, coming on the clouds of heaven. And they say, you're worthy of death. They spit in Jesus' face. They struck him with their fists. They slapped him. They punched him. Peter is watching all of this. And a servant girl comes to him and says, in verse 69, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. And he denies it. And says, I don't, I don't know the man. I'm just an observer. I don't know who he is. Why would he do that? He's not afraid of the, of the man with a club or a sword. But the voice of a little maiden causes this man's man to absolutely crumble. Well, consider the cost. If he said, yes, I'm with Jesus, she might call the guards and have him arrested. And then he's going to get punched and slapped. He's going to be persecuted. He's not ready to face that. He has his own dignity to maintain. He has ice in his heart. So he got up, he moved, he went out to the gateway. 
where other people were coming in. He, he moved away from the fire. And another girl saw him. And she said in verse 71, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them for your accent gives you away. The Galilean accent was different than the accent of those who lived in Jerusalem. Then he called down curses on himself if he was lying about knowing Jesus. He swore to them, I do not know the man. Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows, that is, before the dawn of the morning. You will disown me three times. And the dam that was in his heart broke. And he saw himself for who he really was. And he went outside and wept bitterly. This was for him the absolute end of his life. He has just spent the last three years following this man, Jesus, who is now being tried as a criminal, who is being beaten, who is going to be crucified. And not only that, he has himself totally denied that he ever knew Jesus and has placed himself on the side of those who are beating Jesus. Now, until the ice in our heart is broken and we can begin to see ourselves for who we really are in our self-centered interest to succeed, in our self-centered interest to be thought of as someone important, until we can begin to see the true nature of our character in ourselves until we see that, until sin becomes bitter to us, until sin bites us, until we say, I can't go there anymore, our hearts are frozen and it has to be broken. And Jesus allowed the sifting of Peter to break the pride of his heart and to break the ice of his veins, to melt him down, to humble him, where he would finally recognize that he was dealing with the God of heaven and earth. I want to read this to you. It's found in the book of Colossians. Let me read this to you. It is the most fabulous statement. I'll begin with verse 13. This is Colossians 1, verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. And I want to paraphrase. He has 
rescued us from the dominion of ice. Coldness of heart. And brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. That is, he's brought us into the light, into the sunshine. In whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. Now, this is who he is. He is the image or the exact representation. If you see Jesus and you see God, you don't see any difference. They're the same. We serve one God who manifests himself in three persons. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In other words, he is the only one who is not of this world who has been born. He chose being God, the creator God. He chose to come and be born as a man so that finally, as a man, he could communicate to us the love God has for us and that he might also die as an atoning sacrifice that his blood would break the power of sin in our hearts. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. And we're talking about a man being spit on, punched, bloodied, crucified. And Peter has denied he knew him. That man was the creator God of heaven and earth. Verse 17, he is before all things. In other words, before this world existed, Jesus existed. His name was not Jesus. All of the names we have for God are salvation names. We don't know what his real name is. I hope one day we will. In him, all things hold together. I heard a scientist speaking about this passage this last week. He did this with his fingers. He pushed one against the other. He said, when you understand what it is to push your finger against the other finger, you'll understand what gravity is. Gravity is merely pressure that holds things in their place. In the scripture, it says, in him, all things hold together. He is the gravity that holds our world in place. He is before all things. In him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything and so that in everything he might have the supremacy for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. 
That is, God the Father was pleased to have the fullness of God in the body of this man, Jesus. I don't understand that. But I know it's wonderful. I understand this, however. Verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Please understand today. If you're frozen, your behavior will be evil. When you're melted down in Jesus, then the Father can begin to flow in your life by his Spirit and begin to overcome every obstacle that we face. And begin to change what we do. We're going to be judged in the end by what we have done. This is not simply a philosophy lesson. What we do determines the level of ice in our hearts and our lives. The way you treat people, the way you treat Jesus, the way you act matters. It all counts. It all counts. I want you to see this. Verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and I could add, not renouncing the name of Jesus, not denying that you know him, not denying that you know him by your actions. Not moved from the hope held out by the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Paul does a very interesting thing in the book of Colossians. You find it in the first chapter and then you find it here. Paul envisions the gospel almost as a person that travels. And the gospel has come to you. And now how do you respond to the gospel? Is there hospitality in your heart toward Jesus? Do you welcome him? The gospel has come to you. He is the gospel. The gospel comes now. Do you hear the gospel? 
Do you put into effect the gospel? Satan comes and says, no, you're not going to hear the gospel. I'm going to sift it out of you. I'm going to make circumstances such that you will quickly forget about this gospel that came and visited you. Will you deny the gospel because it's no longer convenient or because someone's angry about your following Jesus? Will you sell out for personal advantage? Will you lie? Will you cheat? Will you steal for personal advantage? Peter has been severely bitten by his sin. With aching heart, I'm sure with a broken heart, he stood and looked at Jesus nailed on that cross. And it was Peter's sin, and it was my sin, and it's your sin that put Jesus on that cross. Lord Jesus, I'm very grateful today that you forgave Peter and reached out with hands of love to welcome him back as one of the disciples after your resurrection. Lord, I know today that your arms are outstretched for any person who will not deny you, but who will allow you to melt the ice of their heart. Lord, would you have your way at the National Prayer Chapel? And would you have your way this week on the radio? Would you turn the sunshine of your love upon us? And melt the coldness of our hearts. Lord, I thank you. And I pray in your holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. Your way in me, oh Lord, to set my spirit free. Jesus, bring revival and start your work in me.
We will. 